Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Dan Gobi Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for UFC 283 this weekend. Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Hill for the light heavyweight title, as well as a flyweight tilt for the flyweight unification bout between Brandon Moreno and Jason Figueredo. That's right, they're running it a fourth time. We'll, of course, be breaking down those two fights and one of our other favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, in addition to all that, we're giving you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is Tiago Moises, who is talking about his upcoming bout with a late replacement and why there's never a doubt he'd be fighting in Brazil. And later on, we're talking to Daniel Marcos, who's about to make his UFC debut. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all of your sports books in one nice, neat spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you are most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether it be showing off your big scores to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Picket has you covered. New veteran and experienced bettors have all used the Picket community, so what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app on the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Tiago Moises, who fights Mezquetal Costa at UFC 283. That fight is on January 21st, live from Rio de Janeiro. So, Tiago, I want to start talking about the, the loss of opponents here. You're supposed to fight Garam Kutataladze, kind of a guy who's a, a hot up-and-comer, probably would have been, you know, a nice step in the right direction for your career right now. What was sort of your reaction when he pulled out? Like, were you thinking about maybe dropping this fight altogether? No, uh, of course I was pretty upset, you know, uh, when the fight uh, fall over because I was training for this guy for like I was like 90 weeks training specifically to fight Grudem, and uh, all my mind was never an option not fighting. You know, I was going to fight whoever they put in front of me. So I'm happy that I got a fight. I got a tough opponent next, and I'm taking him as ser- seriously as I was taking Grudem. And, and so, obviously, having spent that much time getting ready for Guram Kukatatalate, is that a fight you want after this one? Is that one that that's on your mind for the near future? I mean, um, after I beat after I beat Melky, uh, I wanna I wanna rank it opponent, you know, because uh, I win over Guram, already put been back in the rankings, so I I wanna fight a ranked opponent next. I like that mentality. Now, you mentioned that Costa is a tough opponent here. I'm curious, because he is a newcomer to the UFC, how much of him did you know about before they offered him to you? You know, uh, before they before uh, they offered me this fight against him, I already knew who he was. You know, he was doing great fights uh, on the national uh, scene, uh, beating a lot of good guys in Brazil. So uh, 
I knew who he was. And uh, there's a lot of tough guys outside the UFC, you know, especially LFA. And uh, in Brazil, we have a lot of good fighters. So I'm taking him uh, very seriously, and I think it's going to be a tough fight. So, But uh, I was ready to fight Guda, so, you know, so I'm ready to fight anyone. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned that there was no doubt in your mind. You were going to take whoever they gave you. Is there a reason why that is? Is is there a reason why, like, right now was the time you had to fight and you, you didn't want to wait, you know, a week or two or three weeks? Man, because I already have my flight book, book it to Brazil, you know. Uh, I'm going to stay there uh, a couple weeks after to uh, spend time in, with my family, you know. And uh, this has, has had been, like, uh, a tough... Uh, 10-week uh, training, you know, for this fight. So imagine they training 10 weeks and they're not fighting, you know. So I would fight whoever they put in front of me because I'm ready and uh, I want to fight, you know, fight for the for fans in Brazil, for my family, my friends, and uh, then uh, get to spend some time with my family in Brazil that uh, I don't see for a year. Absolutely. And and I, I was wondering if it, how much of it was the Brazil thing. When you found out the UFC was going to Brazil – for the first time in, you know, pretty much since the pandemic started, how excited were you that that was a possibility that you were going to get a chance to go back down there? Man, uh, when they they announced that uh, UFC was going back to Rio, uh, I told my manager right away, hey, text UFC, text Sean, uh, let them know that I want to fight there, like, badly. And uh, that's that's what, what I did, you know. And uh, then well, I think it was right after I fought um, my last fight against Giagos, and that we had a lot of time, you know, so I asked the UFC, I want to fight uh, October or November, then I want to fight in Brazil again. They said, oh, you got to choose, you got to fight now October or in Brazil, so that's why I waited like a couple months after my last fight. Ah, I see, so in that time too, because you, you mentioned it was like a nine or a ten week training camp, So, but it's been obviously much longer than that since you fought. Has there been downtime? Have you been in the gym the whole time working on specific things? What What's that time period look like for you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I told you like it was a ten week uh, fight camp, you know, to fight Gura because that's the time you know, when they told me hey, you fighting Gura, so I I started training specifically for this guy, you know. But after I fought Christos, uh, I, maybe I took I I took one week off, then I I I came back to ride right into a train, you know, just uh try to get better, try to improve, help my teammates get ready for their fights, you know, so I, n I never stop training. For me, there, there is no much off camp, you know, I'm always training, always ready, always getting better. And, and usually between your fights too, you know, if you, you look down your, your record, we're, we're talking only like, you know, three, four, sometimes five months in between. We're talking almost seven for this fight. D does it feel like a long time out of the cage for you? Uh, actually, it doesn't, doesn't feel like uh, a lot of time off the occasion. I have been training hard. Uh, looks looks like I, I fought yesterday, you know, but uh, at the same time, it feels like it was a long time. It's a weird feeling. <laughs> but uh, but I, I got a lot better. Like, I got a lot of better since my last fight, and I'm going to show it uh, on next week. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the fight, but before I do... I want to get your thoughts on the lightweight division because you you kind of have a unique spot in the lightweight division here, you know, both in that you've fought a lot of ranked contenders, but you've also fought the tippity top of the division. You fought Ilan Makhachev, now the champion of the division. You headlined a fight card against them. You fought Benil Daryush, who a lot of people are pegging as being kind of right there. 
Give us your thoughts on Makashev versus Volkan, uh, or, uh, uh, Volk, rather. What do you think, what do you make of that fight? What do you think of him coming up from featherweight to fight him? Man, I think Volk is, uh, is a very smart fighter. Uh, he has really good takedown defense and, uh, really good striking also. I think, I think his striking is better than his. Like, if he can keep the fight on the feet, I think he wins. But I think that's, uh, not gonna happen. You know, I think Islam is, much bigger than him, much stronger than him. His wrestling is very good. So I think he's going to take the fight down. And, uh, or he's going to... And I, I think Volk is going to get tired, you know, uh, because of the wrestling. And I think Makachev is going to finish him on the ground. But I don't I don't think it's going to be an, an easy fight. I think it's going to be like uh, a tough fight for Islam. Interesting. And now, you, like I said, you've also fought Benil Daryush, who, who is going to be, you know, arguably the next guy in line or maybe one fight away. What do you think of if right. he squares off with Makachev? Uh, I think he should be next, you know, for the for the title fight. I think he should fight. Uh, I, I think he should have been fighting Islam now, you know, instead of Volkanovsk. I think he deserves more. And, uh, yeah, I think from, like, the top five top ten guys, I think he's the hardest fight for Islam. And, and do you feel that way just based like, on, like, the jiu-jitsu? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based, based, on, based on his style, you know, he's, like, he's a really good grappler. He can strike, you know, he's, he, he's strong. He's, he has power. And uh, I think he, uh, it's, uh, like, based on his style, is the, is, the tough, is the toughest fight for Islam. I like that. I like that. Now, let, let's get to talking about your fight once again. You mentioned Melky Costa, kind of a, a tough opponent, especially for a guy just debuting, beating a lot of tough guys on the Brazil scene, beating some tough guys in LFA. Tell us a little bit about how you see your skills matching up specifically with what he does well. Man, uh, yeah, as you told, like, he beat a lot of good guys in the original scene, uh, but the UFC is different, you know, uh, it's, it's another level than uh, the original scene. But I'm taking him very seriously. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm taking like as same I was taking Guram, you know. Uh, but I see that I, I'm one step ahead of of him, and uh, my grappling skills, my striking, you know, the guys that I fought. So I, I think I'm. I'm. I'm one step ahead of him. All right. Well, I usually like to end these things with a prediction. So give me a prediction. How's this one end with him on UFC 283? Uh, submission. I'm gonna, I'm gonna win this by submission. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Tiago Moises, who fights Melky Costa at UFC 283. That fight, once again, is live from Rio de Janeiro on January 21st. Tiago, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for taking the time, and and see you guys soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Tiago Moises. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. Obviously, the 265-pound elephant in the room is Francis Ngannou, no longer a UFC fighter. The UFC heavyweight champ has relinquished his title to go on to bigger and better things. There was an interview just this afternoon with Ariel Helwani talking about some of the reasons he made the decision. There's so much to unpack here, and definitely we don't have time to unpack it all, but give me sort of your initial thoughts on on the idea of Francis Ngannou not being a UFC rostered employee anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers to this, especially when you find out that he actually, as part of his negotiations, was, you know, trying to get better fighter pay for other fighters and medical coverage. I mean, he's almost like an MLK-like figure in uh, fighter rights, and that is something um, I respect greatly. And, you know, that being said, as a longtime fan, this is not without precedent. I saw BJ Penn leave uh, as a lightweight champ. I saw Randy Couture leave. You know, at, these are at the primes of their careers, and they all came back. Now, it's a different landscape, of course. There's more money floating around in other promotions. So I'm not sure if we'll ever see him in the UFC again, but I do hold out some hope that maybe one day he does come back. That being said, him going and boxing, good on him if he makes $20 million in a boxing match. I don't want to see it. I don't think he's that great a boxer. I don't think at age 37 he'll be that competitive. Um, you know, and the same thing goes for if he fights for Logan Paul or some sort of freak show fight. The best of the best are in the UFC at the heavyweight division. So that's where I want to see him. Um, but you know, if he goes and makes a ton of money, good on him. What do you think? Yeah, same thing. Uh, I, I am not personally super invested in watching him box Tyson Fury. I, I for one, am just not, like, not a big boxing fan. Uh, I, I prefer MMA cause I like jujitsu and I like the grappling aspects of it all. So, you know, a pure boxing match doesn't super interest me. You know, I'll probably try to find a way to watch it if that does happen because I love Francis and stuff like that. But, um, you're, and you're right. Like right now, the heavyweight matchups that are intriguing are, are him versus Pavlovich or him versus John Jones or another fight with surreal gain. It's not whatever we would find in PFL or whatever we would find in one FC or KSW or things like that. So yeah, I'm like not super into the idea of whatever he's going to fight outside, but I could not be happier for the dude getting his bag. Cause that's at the end of the day, that's what he's going to do. He got to stick to his principles He got to go to bat for people. He gets to now tell people that he went to bat for people, and that's what the UFC's about. And he's probably going to get a massive payday anyway. So, yeah, good on Francis. Couldn't be happier for him. Glad he's happy with his decision. Uh, And I'm, I'm at least intrigued at what happens next. Well, I'll tell you what I'm intrigued about what's happening next, and that's what we're going to break down for Fights, Dog, and Parlays at UFC 283. We're going to break down a couple of fights we like, a parlay to play, and our dog of the week. But before we get into that, Gumby, I wonder, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Better the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus to sign for bettors looking to get their cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light. Make this season a winning one with MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, let's get to the main event. We've lamented enough already about how things came to be with Yuri getting injured, and now we have Glover, the ex-champion, coming back off the loss to Yuri in a fight of the year, fight of the forever contender. It was a great fight. Glover was, you know, a minute away from winning, ended up losing, just crazy stuff. And now he fights uh, Jamal Hill, which, let's face it, uh, no one thought Jamal Hill was going to be a title contender this fast. But he is on a three-fight win streak. He lost to Paul Craig, also fighting on this event. We'll get to that later. 
back in June of 2021, then reeled off three big KO wins, TKO wins against Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker, Jimmy Crute. The UFC loves a good TKO highlight to put in a video package for a title challenger, and that's what we have now in Jamal Hill. The division since Jones has left has been thin, and I think this is no more a great example of that thinness than the fact that Jamal Hill is fighting for the title. But, hey, guess what? He's the freaking favorite at minus 125. Glover betting off at a very slight dog, plus 105. For me, I'll just kind of jump in real quick. If this fight hits the ground, it's over. Glover's going to win. If Jamal Hill can leave it standing for five rounds, okay, I guess. You know, certainly Glover at age 43 is going to be giving up a speed advantage to him. But wacky odds to me. What do you make of it? Yeah, I I agree with you. The odds seem wacky to me as well. Here's what I will say about this fight is that I actually think the fight is destined to go to the mat. I, I, while I really do like, uh, I, I really do like Jamal Hill. I think standing, he's got a lot of promise. I think he does a lot of really good things with his hands. And, and no doubt, he's powerful. There's problems with his takedown defense. We've seen it time and time again, problems with his takedown defense. If you want to go back to his debut in the UFC, he got taken down six times by Darko Stoizic. And before you say to me, well, you know, that, that was a different guy. That was a long time ago. That was this. That was that. I agree with you. It was a long time ago. It was this or that. In his last fight, he was taken down six times by Tiago Santos. And I don't know about you. I don't see Tiago Santos as this, like, menacing grappler. I don't see Tiago Santos as this, like, takedown artist who you can't keep off of you. And Tiago Santos managed to stay on the feet with him for four rounds before getting knocked out. So, like... Tiago Santos is not a guy who I think of as being durable, a good wrestler, or a particularly talented grappler. And here we go. We got Glover Teixeira, a guy who I do think is durable, who I do think is good away from staying, you know, out of the big bomb, as he did with Yuri Prohashka, for literally an entire fight. And he's a guy who's got better wrestling and is harder to get off of you. I think this fight hits the ground. I think Glover Teixeira finishes it when he gets it down there. I think you're you're nailing this. You're a hammer, and you nailed it because, you know, I almost feel like Glover in his later years has entered this kind of territory. Oh, who do I want to compare this to? Almost like, in a way, it's the back end of his career, but it's almost like a surging Brock Lesnar on his ascent or a surging Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey on their ascents into superstardom. It's like, until I see it, I just have to bet on Glover because he has done this time and again against up-and-coming fighters where if he's able to get it to the ground, it is over. Now, Yuri was able to – now, Yuri's a big guy, by the way, so it wasn't easy for Glover to, you know, quote-unquote, out-grapple and manhandle him, but he was able to get it back standing a few times. That being said, I don't foresee that with Jamal Hill. I don't think he'll be able to get it back standing – So my point that I'm making is bet against Glover until you see it otherwise. I think so many people have been burned by Glover on betting in the last seven years because they just think, oh, he's old. Oh, he's slow. But guess what? He keeps winning, and he's going to keep winning until he's retired. That's what he brings to the table with his jiu-jitsu and his grappling and the ability to withstand a punch. Those are two superpowers for Glover. Uh, Anything else you want to say about that fight before we move on? No, I would also just add, too, because I feel like people are missing this, too. 
Jamal Hill's only loss technically comes by TKO to Paul Craig, but it really was a submission. He put him in a triangle choke, he broke his arm, and then he punched him in the head while he couldn't defend himself with his broken arm. You know, let it go down as a TKO if you want. But this guy is a guy who has had issues with submission defense, too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all over Glover Teixeira and probably a subprop if you like that. All right. We've seen this fight before. Devison Figueredo, minus 115 favorite. Brandon Moreno, a plus 100 dog. Uh, Moreno lost to Figueredo back in January of last year. One year ago, he beat Kai Kara France, I guess you could say, to re-earn this title shot and win the interim UFC Flyweight Championship back in July. And now here we are for the fourth time. So let's break this down. The first time was a majority draw. Uh, the second time was a win for Figueredo and the, or excuse me, was a win for Brandon Moreno. The third time was a win for Devison Figueredo. And now here we are in the fourth time, uh, plus 100, Brandon Moreno, a minus 115, Figueredo, razor thin, who you got? I'm going to go Brandon Moreno. Uh, I'm always, I think with the exception of the... Uh, second fight, I think I picked Brandon Moreno in all of these, uh, so in three out of four. The, the reason being is I just think he's a more well-rounded fighter than Davison Figueredo. Figueredo, sure, he hits really, really freaking hard. Um, you know, he's got good boxing skills. I think Moreno's a little bit faster on the feet. I think he picks his shots a little bit better. I think his footwork's better. And, and as we saw in the submission win for Brandon Moreno... I think he's just, like, a, more ways to finish. Because he, he can knock you out. He definitely can knock you out. But he's also got the ground game there that's really dangerous. And it was dangerous to Figueredo in that fight. Um, Figueredo also, just in the past, has had weight problems that I worry a little bit about. And I, I'm actually a little bit higher on Moreno. I know some people have sort of been fading him due to all of this uh, this issues with the coaching. Obviously, James Krause no longer in his corner. But, you know, he's been working with some really good coaches at the PI. I know Save Saud has been uh, working with him and been doing an excellent job, despite the fact he's not taking any credit for it. And if I've got a guy who I want to rely on his grappling more, Save Saud is the guy I want in his corner. Save Saud is the guy I want helping him game plan. So, yeah, give me uh, give me Brandon Moreno here to, uh, to get the first quadrilogy uh, finally closed the book on. Yeah, I'm not going to offer much else. I think it's so razor close. I think you could flip a coin. I, I mean, yeah, I, I like what you just laid out, so I'll, I'll go with it. But you want to tell me Figueredo wins? I'm not shocking to me. Um, very t- tight fight. And one I don't mind that, you know, we've had to see four times, but I don't think I could ever watch it again after this one. All right, let's move then. Uh, the third uh, fight from the top, if you will is a very interesting matchup at 170 pounds. Gilbert Burns, the once former title challenger, is a minus 350. And Neil Magny, a plus 290. Now, you see a 3-to-1 favorite, and you're a 3-to-1 dog, and you think it's not that close. But Neil Magny is a pesky, pesky fighter. He's tough to put away. He's coming over a submission win over Daniel Rodriguez via Darce Choke. Neil Magny's been doing the damn thing since 2013. So Neil Magny is now a 10-year veteran of the UFC. He goes on little two-fight win streaks, three-fight win streaks, then he'll lose, run into someone like a Gilbert Burns. But sometimes he'll surprise you, too. Uh, Burns is, you know, Burns is someone who I think could have been champion had Kamara Usman not existed. And if you remember, he actually did win that first round. Now, of course, 
I'm a big jiu-jitsu mark, so I love what Burns represents and brings to the table. I would have liked to see him rematch uh, Usman at some point, but that being said, he reeled off a million wins, including wins over Gunnar Nelson, Damian Meyer, and, Tyre, T- Damian Meyer and Tyron Woodley, to then go and face the champ Kamara Usman, lost by TKO back in February of 2021, came back with a big win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and is coming off a razor-thin loss, fight of the night, to Kamzat Shimiev. Uh, that was a hell of a fight that really could have gone either way. And now he gets Neil Magny to try to get himself back into title contention. Who you got? I'm going to go with Gilbert Burns. Uh, I've thought that Gilbert Burns' hands have looked a lot better since he's come up to welterweight. Um, He surprised a lot of people. I think he can stand and trade with Neil Magny. He's also a guy who showed in that Kamzat Shemaev fight that, like, a, a little extra reach doesn't actually deter him all that much. Right? Like, he wound up looking better than Kamzat on the feet there. For, for the vast majority of the fight, um, it, it looked like he could hold his own. So I think he's going to deal with that just fine. And I will also just say, I, I think Gilbert Burns really could just, like, out-wrestle Neil Magny here. Because I know people think of Neil Magny as a guy with a wrestling background, right? He wrestled for the Army or something like that. But in the, the fights that he's lost as of late, a, a lot of them are due to being taken down. Uh, kind of frequently like he got taken down a couple of times by Shavkat Rachmanov before he got caught in a guillotine choke he also got taken down a bunch of times by Michael Chiesa en route to a unanimous decision loss there so like there is a history out there of him being out grappled and I I really think Gilbert Burns could take that route if he wants to and I I think that's why you see those odds being as wide as they are so yeah give give me uh give me Gilbert Burns here despite the fact that those odds are pretty steep I like it um, our dog of the week is Daniel Marcos, a plus 140. Let's, let's hear it. All right. So, yeah, I love Daniel Marcos in this spot because for a couple of reasons. First of all, he was a massive underdog going into the Contender Series fight against Brandon Lewis, and he just looked like at a million bucks there. And the reason why is he was an underdog because he had been off for three years, which you'll hear him talk about a little bit later on in the show. But he was off for three years. People assumed he had been doing nothing. All he had been doing is completely revamping his training, heading up to Florida, working with Charles Rosa in the Combat Academy, and he looks like a new guy. He's he's absolutely dazzling on the feet. He's fast, and Simon Oliveira is a guy who is going to want to trade with him. So I think he's going to be faster. I think he's going to be sharper, and at plus 140, I don't think you can go wrong. All right, let's get to our parlay to play then. Uh, Gabriel Bonfirm, uh, minus 180, and Terrence McKinney, a minus 110. So two favorites, pair them together, get your plus 197 odds, break her down. First of all, I can't believe Terrence McKinney is negative 110. I think the reason he's probably negative 110 is people are putting a lot of stock on the Bonfim name. Uh, Ishmael Bonfim is his opponent. Uh, he's definitely a violent dude, but he's a dude who doesn't have a lot of striking defense. I think Terrence McKinney's going to go in there and knock his head off because the only person Terrence McKinney's had trouble with is somebody who can take his punch, and I don't think that's Ishmael Bonfim. Now, on the other side of the Bonfim coin, I'm pairing Terrence McKinney with his uh, opponent's brother, Gabriel Bonfim, because... I think he's more of the real deal. He's the younger brother. He looks a little sharper. And likewise, he's got a matchup I really like here in Mornillo Lezez because 
Gabriel Bonfim is also a guy who likes to get in there and mix it up and throw hands, but he's sneakily got really good takedown skills and really good submission skills, and Mordir Lizez is a kickboxer. So I think Gabriel Bonfim is going to get done, but I'm going to pair him with Terrence McKinney to get it done against his brother in a little mix and match anti and pro Bonfim brothers for plus 195. Boom. Well, that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. We're accepting both love and hate feedback at Top Turtle MMA. On IG and Twitter, Gumby, this show is a rolling along. Where should we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with the aforementioned Daniel Marcos, who talks about that long layoff, as well as all kinds of things leading into this fight down in Brazil. But before we do that, I got to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Daniel Marcos. All right, and joining me today is Daniel Marcos, who fights Simon Oliveira at UFC 283. That fight is on January 21st, live from Rio de Janeiro on pay-per-view. So, Daniel, I I wanted to start here. You had that huge win on the Contender Series, but looking at your record before that, three years without being in the cage, can you fill us in a little bit of what was going on in that three years? So, depending on your ausencia in the last three years, before entering the UFC, eh, estuviste inactivo que caminamos por eso antes de llegar a la UFC y cómo fue eso cómo fue tu experiencia al llegar a las Grandes Ligas ok, so, estuve inactivo mucho tiempo, me dio COVID tuve una pelea programada en 2020 no pude eh, por el tema del COVID la, la, las, las empresas en Perú a nivel internacional se cerraron Vine aquí el año, exactamente el año pasado, el 19 de enero. Uh, me mantuve entrenando en América Combat Gym. Me recibieron de la mejor forma. Me mantuve siempre entrenando, siempre activo. Sabía que iba a llegar mi momento. Y, y para esto me preparé muy fuerte. Antes de entrar a Nahuay, pasaron muchos, muchos inconvenientes, muchos sacrificios que tuve que pasar. Sabía que era mi momento ese día. Y nada, solamente el trabajo duro es el que, y el hambre que tengo de, de perro es, es, es el, el que me llevó a la victoria y conseguir el contrato. So, uh, throughout the, the COVID, since it started, I was inactive uh, for about two years until I ended up going to the United States and uh, to start my training camp over there. That was last January. I started training at American Combat Gym. Uh, over there, I met a group of coaches who, who've had my bag and have worked with me throughout the whole way. Um, I got people around me that fully support me, um, that are always with me, helping me through my training camp and outside my training camp. So for that, I'm very appreciative of. Um, I was inactive, but I never stopped training. Um, everything shut down in South America, but I'm a fighter and I've always been hungry. My dream was to make it to the UFC, not only be in the UFC, but to be a champion. So that's what I'm here for. This is just the beginning, and you can expect only but great things from me. That's awesome to hear. Now, I know that you moved to the U.S., and you got a little bit of a training camp between, you know, when you were on Contender Series and when you got to fight. But with that, like, kind of messed up training, with the training that was, you know, inconsistent in South America and then training gyms, did you feel rusty in there, or did you feel you're 100% best self? Eh, con, durante ese momento de periodo de entrenamiento, 
eh, ¿tú sentiste que en algún momento te sentiste como que fuera de condición o que no encontraste el entrenamiento que andabas buscando porque no estaba disponible durante el COVID? Uh, no, lo contrario, aprendí mucho. Llegué con una mentalidad diferente aquí, solo de, de trabajar duro. Aprendí mucho de, mi, de, de mis entrenadores, de mi amigo de cuarto que es Charles Rosa. Aprendí mucho de él. Eh, trabajé mucho el, el strike, trabajé mucho el grappling, el jiu-jitsu. Trabajé mucho, muchas cosas que, que, que quizás no podría trabajar en, en otros lugares. Lo trabajé, lo trabajé aquí me ayudaron demasiado con el tema, el tema físico en IHP, conseguí una, un entrenador muy bueno de alto nivel, que es Juan Carlos Santana, y me siento bien, me sentí bien, pude dar el show que, que, que le gustó a las personas, y por eso estoy donde estoy. So, basically, um, he was just saying he's a, he's a fighter, and fighters adapt. Uh, that was just the circumstance in the past two years, uh, that didn't stop him from looking at different alternatives and what ways he can improve uh, throughout the whole process. Uh, his roommate, Charles Rosa, has helped him out, um, helped him through the dieting um, and through the conditioning part. He started working with uh, IHD, Carlos Santana. Um, and he said since then, he's been having huge improvements on, on his gas tank and he's ready to show and display all of his skill sets. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, you, you moved to the United States, you're training in Florida, you're training with Charles Rosa, but at the same time, you're getting a chance to debut in South America. How, how special was it for you when you found out the UFC was looking to book you, you know, closer to where you come from? During all this process, you move to the United States to continue your training and you end up fighting in South America. How special is it for you to fight there? Eh, de donde tú eres y con la gente que tú conoces cercana a ti uh, es muy especial eh, eh, mis entrenadores que, que, que iniciaron este proyecto conmigo van a poder estar en mi esquina es algo muy especial para mí mucha gente de Perú está yendo, me han dicho me han dado las vibras, están yendo a verme están comprando los tickets para poder ir a verme, me siento feliz estoy muy contento de regresar a Sudamérica eh, Siento que, que la pelea está hecha para mí. Siento que, que las cosas se van a dar de la mejor forma. Estoy, estoy muy contento. Estoy en modo neutro. No siento ni felicidad ahorita. No siento ni, ni tristeza. Estoy literalmente enfocado, alejado de, de muchas cosas. Y solamente eh, terminando mi campamento, que, que ya está casi terminando. Ya estoy afilando unas pocas pequeñas cosas. Y, y nada, estoy, estoy, estoy bien, de una buena forma. Me mantengo un buen peso y estoy listo para, para salir y dar guerra. Man, it feels great to be close to my to my hometown. Um, it is Brazil. It's very close to Peru. Um, I got a lot of support down there. Uh, <laughs> South America is huge for the sport. Um, and you'll see throughout the years, more people will start coming from over there. Um, I have my previous coaches. I have friends that are going to be there in, in, in presence and witnessing my my whole time being here and the progress I've been making. I, I can't wait for it to come afloat uh, and everybody see what I've been working on. Um, I feel in great shape, my weight's on point, and I, I, I can't explain. I can't wait to just go out there and display and do what I do best. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I want to talk about that fight in just a second, but before I do, I like asking fighters as much as possible because it's one of it's one of my personal favorite things about interviewing fighters to tell me a little bit about where their nickname comes from because you know there's a hundred pit bulls and there's 75 hitmen but there's only <laughs> one Sonkora. 
So do you mind explaining what the nickname Soncora means and maybe how it became your fight nickname? Eh, durante todo el tiempo que, que él ha hecho entrevistas, él le encanta hacerle preguntas a los peleadores porque hay 500 people, hay 500 nombres similares, <risa> pero él ha con un Soncora. ¿Qué, qué okay. significa Soncora y de dónde viene eso? Ok, so, eso viene desde mi, uh, prácticamente mi niñez, a los 13, 14 años. Si repite Soncora varias veces en español, es corazón, que es que te, en inglés, ¿no? entonces desde ahí viene, ¿no? como lo digo en todas mis peleas soy una persona, soy un perro que tiene mucha hambre, que tiene mucho corazón para salir a buscar lo que, lo que tanto deseo con el trabajo duro, con el entrenamiento duro y sobre todo poniendo a Dios adelante y, y es por eso que, que, que salió Soncora y, y mucha gente me pregunta lo mismo y nada, les digo eso y me dicen que es asombroso So he said, um, one thing you can question about the way he fights is his heart. Um, <clears throat> when you put Sonkora, uh, it's like if heart was spelled backwards. So if you repeat it a lot of times, it becomes the word in Spanish. Uh, in Spanish. So it, it means heart and it, uh, it, it represents the way he fights and how he goes in there. And he's always trying to do finishes and uh, perform to the best of his ability. Um, so yeah, basically uh, his personality inside the cage. I love it. I love it. So let, let's talk about that personality inside the cage. You're fighting Simon Oliveira, kind of like your last opponent. He's a guy who, first of all, is much shorter than you. He's a really short guy for the Bantamweight division. And he kind of likes to mix in his wrestling, too, a little bit. You you wind up seeing him wrestle a little bit more than maybe he likes to admit. Do, do you see a similar path to victory as you did against Brandon Lewis? Hablando de tu oponente, Simon, que va a pelear que él lo ve como una persona, como un oponente similar a tu último oponente. ¿Tú crees que sería lo mismo para llegar a la victoria o varía un poco la circunstancia de tu última pelea? ¿Qué te llevaría a la victoria en este caso? Uh, yo creo que cada peleador y cada pelea dentro del pueblo es diferente. Todos no son iguales. Eh, hay circunstancias que se tienen que cambiar. Estoy preparado para pelear arriba, estoy preparado para pelear abajo. Eh, he estudiado a mi, a mi oponente estoy listo, si la pelea se da arriba, se da arriba, si la pelea se da tras del piso, solo sé, se, 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 se da tras del piso, solo sé que voy a castigar y voy a ahogarlo y que se va a ahogar y que va a sentir la presión, la fuerza, el trabajo duro que vengo haciendo y, y eso es todo, o sea, va, va a sentir el, 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 el verdadero ahogo de su sangre. So he, he says that um, his, every single fight is different, um... They, they all present different scenarios. As much as one would be similar to the other one, the outcome is always different. You can never predict it until it happens. Um, he only knows that he's be, he been working hard. And his style is not just only coming up on top and winning, but making sure he comes out of there in a, in a good, fashionable way. Um, he likes finishing, but he also knows how to adapt inside the cage. He's ready to fight standing up. He's ready to fight in the ground. And he's just going to make it happen and deliver for you guys. He's ready for the UFC. Well, you kind of stole my last question from me because usually I try to end these things by getting a prediction. He just said you couldn't predict it, but in a perfect world, what's the finish look like for us here? Eh, uno nunca puede predecir, pero en un mundo perfecto, ¿qué tú dirías que sería tu, eh, tu victoria? ¿Cómo acabaría la pelea? Yo todas las peleas salgo a demoler. Demoler. Si es arriba, abajo, voy a salir a demoler. Voy a salir a destruir. Es, es, es mi mentalidad de perro. I come to finish. Uh, I really believe in, that I'm a dog. 
Um, so I'm going to come out there and do what I got to do. Like I said, I'm a complete well-rounded fighter. I can go on the ground. I can go standing. And I'm ready to finish wherever it goes. I'm just happy that I'm coming out there and displaying and doing what I really like to do. And we are absolutely looking forward to that. Once again, fans, this has been Daniel Marcos, who fights Simon Oliveira at UFC 283. That fight, once again, is on January 21st, live from Rio de Janeiro. Daniel, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. He wants to he wants to say a, a message for his fans. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so quiero darle las gracias a todas las personas de Perú, de todo el nivel del mundo que me están viendo, a las personas, a mis sponsors, Importaciones Max, a Interrof Cargo, LSA Sport, America Combat Gym, IHP, Carla Marcos, Gregory Choplin, Charles Rosa, Wagi, Jose y eh, a toda la gente que está conmigo de Perú, soy un perro, voy a salir a llevarme la victoria, he entrenado muy fuerte para esto, voy a cumplir un año desde que, desde que dejé mi familia para cumplir los sueños, y voy a ser el próximo campeón, no, hay, no tengo duda de eso, y el 21 de septiembre voy a salir a darlo todo y, y a comerme al mundo si se puede y sé que se va a poder, entonces estoy listo para todo. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, once again for listening. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Picket, MyBookie, and Maroon Social. And as a reminder, you can check us out on social media as well, at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then. <laughs>